may be seated. Well, here at Living Water Church, you know it well, at least I hope you do, and if you don't, you should get familiar with it. Uh, We aim to form passionate followers of Jesus by proclaiming the gospel of the glory of God. It's on our wall, it's in our bulletins, and I hope this is even in the DNA of what you see as being our primary aim, what we want to do as a church. And yet it's helpful from time to time to consider whether or not this is, in fact, the right focus. Do we have our priorities straight? Are we doing the things that God would have us do for his glory? Or have we somehow misplaced our duty as we focus so much on this proclamation of the gospel? This is a question we should consider, and so should we keep going in this direction, or should we change directions, perhaps? And and instead, should we focus on doing works of mercy, or should we instead work on making social reform, or any other work we might deem worthy of the church's effort? Well, this week, as we return to Colossians, I think our text is going to help us answer this question. This week, our focus is on Colossians 1.28, where Paul says this, Him, as Christ, we proclaim. There's that word that should be familiar to us as it's in our mission statement. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So what I think we have here in this verse is the hinge by which the preceding few verses and the ones that come after all hang Back in verse 24, Paul talked about his suffering for the sake of the church. And how is his suffering edifying and building up the body? It is because he is proclaiming Christ. Then after that, we saw the unfolding mystery of Christ in verses 25 through 27. And how is this done but through Paul's proclamation? And then what's going to come after This verse is verse 29, where Paul will talk about his toil to this end to proclaim Christ. And so what we see is Paul's suffering is from and his striving is for proclamation, for preaching. And so I don't think it's any overstatement to say that Paul's primary duty and our primary duty as well is one and the same, to proclaim Christ, to preach him, to herald him, to declare him, to make the good news of Christ known to everyone. And so why don't we give ourselves to all these other tasks as much as we do to this proclamation? Why is Paul not more worried about the the need of the poor, although he is doing that? And why is he not more trying to change society, although you'll see he is doing that? But the reason why it is proclamation that is the chief aim of the church and the chief aim of Paul is because he knows, and we ought to know as well, that our brokenness runs far deeper than our external cracks. Man's brokenness, it is rooted in sin, and the ultimate outcome of our sin is death. And so mankind, we need to see this. Mankind needs far more than food and clothing, and medicine. No, we need even more than kings, and better presidents, and better policies. What we need is this. 
We need to be made new. And we need to be made right with God. And so John Piper has helped me so much with my thinking about this. He, he puts it this way. He says, Christians care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. So let me illustrate it like this. If you have an infection and you want to make that infection go away, you don't just put a Band-Aid on it. Or if mankind has a problem, say hunger or some kind of moral corruption or whatever it may be, you don't just try to cover it up. But no, you need to go deeper than what's on the surface. You need to go down to the source and address that infection. And the way we do this, the way we address our problem is through the proclamation of Christ, that is the preaching of the gospel, for it alone is able to address our greatest need. And so it is right and proper for the proclamation of the gospel to be our aim in life. And I don't just mean the preacher's aim in life, I mean the church's aim in life. It was right for Paul, and it is right for us. And so Paul, he shows us the importance of this proclamation here at the tail end of our verse. Look at what he says. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so I want us to see this. First and foremost, the motive of our proclamation, that which is driving us, that which is driving Paul is this, your salvation, our salvation. It is worth noting that our ultimate motive is to glorify God in all things. This is man's chief end, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And yet, how do we proclaim, or how do we glorify him, excuse me? How is it that God is glorified in our life? He is glorified when we love him and rejoice in him and delight ourselves in him. And that can only happen when he is proclaimed and believed on and received by faith. And so this is what drove Paul in his sufferings and in his toil was to proclaim Jesus for the salvation or what we see here, the maturity of God's people. And so listen again to this language. He says that he's doing this so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, what in the world does this have to do with presenting us before Christ? Well, this is drawing a, a, an allusion to the final judgment that every single man will face. Every man and woman from every tribe and nation and tongue will be presented before Jesus Christ. And that judgment will either lead to eternal life or eternal death. Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And so understand what's happening in this text as we are being presented mature in Christ. As that day comes, know that we will be judged by God. And we will either be judged as having been mature or we will be immature, which points out our greatest need. 
Our greatest need is not food for the stomach, nor enjoyment of this life here and now, but our greatest need is to be mature. Now, what does this mean to stand mature in Christ? Is he talking about kids growing up to be adults? Of course not. That would be ridiculous because there are going to be many men and women who are counted among the goats and not the sheep that are grown and old. No, what he's talking about here is not our physical maturity, but our spiritual maturity. He wants us to be mature in Christ. And so to help us perhaps better understand what this word mature means, it's also helpful to see how Jesus himself used this in Matthew 5, 48. Jesus told us that you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Those two words, perfect, time and time again, both times is the very same word that we have in our text this morning, to be presented mature or to be presented perfect. You see, what we need is to be made new because as it stands, you and I, we are not perfect. We are not mature. We are broken sinners who are in need of being born again. We need to be made into a new creation so that we might stand before God being perfect just as he too is perfect. So this is what the aim of, of Paul's proclamation is, and this is my aim as well this morning as I, I preach even here and now. I am preaching so that you would be made perfect for all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So understand what it means to be mature. It means you will stand before God without any spot or blemish, that you will be holy. And it's not just here that we see this text and, and, and seeing the maturity that Paul is, is striving for in all believers, but even earlier in Colossians, we see Christ strived and suffered for this very same end. Colossians 1.21, you'll remember it. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to what? To present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That is to say, to present you mature in Christ. That's what it means to be mature, that you would be holy and blameless and above reproach. And so now we see Paul, and so too I recognize that I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction so that we too might be perfect in our presentation before Christ because through his word, he is making us new. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So now that we have an understanding of what it means to be mature, I want us to understand this. And if you understand one thing today, understand this. There's only one way for any man to stand mature before God. And that is for us to be mature in Christ. Oh, there are plenty of people trying to become mature. They add rules and regulations to their life, trying to be made perfect through their own efforts. And yet, all this law-keeping does not make them mature. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. 
And so some of us might be thinking, oh, I feel pretty good today. I've done most of these. Maybe I haven't honored my father and mother, but I've done most of these. And yet there are many of us here who would stand before God, much like that rich young ruler did, saying, all these I have kept from my youth. And yet the rich young ruler and all those who wish to be made righteous through their own efforts are like children putting on their parents' clothes, playing the the part of the growing up. And yet imagine that. I can picture my son wearing my shoes and my shirt, and he looks nothing like a mature adult because he is a child. This is a humorous picture, and yet hardly of the picture of one who will stand mature So do you want to stand before God as one who is mature and perfect? Well, don't try to become righteous in your own efforts. You will look just as foolish as a child wearing his father's shoes. If you wish to be made perfect and presented before God as mature, you must first be mature in Christ. For you will stand before God, the one who alone is perfect, And he will judge you based on his perfection and not the perfection of others or the lack thereof it. So if you want to be mature, you must lay hold on Jesus Christ. You must believe in him. You must see that in yourself you have no right to stand before God. And even on your best day, your righteousness is like filthy rags. So if you wish to stand before God, you will need to be clothed in the righteousness of another person who is altogether good, who is altogether mature and perfect. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the goal of Paul's proclamation then and the goal of our proclamation here and now is one and the same, that we all would be presented mature in Christ. And for this to happen, we need this common motif in our proclamation. We need this motif, Christ, in our proclamation. What is a motif? A motif is a repeated pattern that shows up over and over again. The classic example of a motif is Beethoven's Fifth uh, Fifth Symphony. And so if you don't know what that one is, I'm gonna sing it for you. Dun, 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 right? And what comes after it? Dun, 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 dun. And the whole song continues on and on after that with that same motif, that same theme playing over and over and over again. And so it is, even in our preaching, we have a motif, a theme that is repeated time and time again. And that motif, that theme is Christ. Paul says, him we proclaim. Christ is the theme of Paul's preaching and he is the theme of our preaching as well. And a preacher who does not proclaim Christ is a preacher that does not preach the gospel. Many of us should know this well and now well by now, and and even I myself left my previous church because I desired to be in a church that was not just about reading the Bible for reading the Bible, wasn't about just being religious for adding a little bit of religion to their life, but but a people who gathered to proclaim Christ because we recognize what we need is Christ. What we need is his righteousness to clothe us. And so it is not enough for us to simply open the Bible every day and and to pick out a life verse or two and a little bit of helpful advice for us to, to do every single day. But what we need is to be made new. And how we're gonna be made new is through proclaiming this central theme, Christ and Christ crucified. 
Now, let me give us a warning. When the gospel is preached every single day, as it ought to be done in each and every single one of our own lives, the gospel can become rote. It can become just something that we write off, something that we almost take for granted. And there are plenty of dangers that happen in this. First of all, complacency sets in. We begin to think, oh, I've heard this already. I know what's going to happen. We're going to talk about Jesus, his death on the cross, and I want to learn something new. I want to learn something that I haven't learned before. And in this complacency, we become bored with that which we once burned to know. And once it becomes complacent, the gospel, well, then we start to assume the gospel. We think that we all know the gospel, and so let's not repeat that same theme, that same motif over and over again. People might get tired of hearing it. So let's teach them something new. Let's, let's learn something new for myself. And once we begin to assume the gospel, we are closer to forgetting the gospel. Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible, it's a book about remembering. Literally, Deuteronomy, it means second law. And by second law, it does not mean that Moses is giving a new law to Israel as they're about to enter into the promised land. But by the second law, it means he's going to repeat the same law over and over and over to them again to remind them of what their God has done for them. This is the motif of Deuteronomy, and it is also the motif of the Christian life, remembering Christ and him crucified. Listen to the language found in Deuteronomy. Moses says this, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. So too, the Lord has given us every good thing. And lest we forget what he has done for us in delivering us from the house of slavery, we need to remember what Christ has done. Remember, it was the reformers as well who acted in the way that they did. Why? Because the church forgot the gospel. So further, we need to preach the gospel not only for our own sake, but also because there are many, even in our own midst, who still haven't made this connection that the entire scripture is all about Jesus. I grew up in a Christian home, and after I graduated from high school, I went to Bible college, and I was studying to be a pastor, and in my first preaching class, I had a professor who gave us the, the syllabus, the rubric for how he was going to grade our sermons, and and one of the things on there was, was the gospel evident in their sermon? Now, I didn't understand what this meant. I grew up in a Christian home, and I did not understand what he meant by, was the gospel evident in your sermon? And so I asked the professor, I said, Dr. Zifel, what in the world does this mean to preach the gospel? I'm, I'm preaching from Genesis, not Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. What does it mean for the gospel to be evident in Genesis? I had no idea. And the sadder part was, he didn't know either. And no, neither did any of the students from as far as I could tell because no one else seemed to have an answer for me. We cannot stop preaching the gospel lest we forget the gospel and turn the scriptures into some kind of moral handbook for how to obtain eternal life. 
Paul, he says the same sentiment in an even more striking way in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Nothing among you, to know nothing among you. No talk of politics, no talk of, of how the weather is, nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, is this true of Paul? That he knew nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified, this one central motif. I mean, surely Paul, he dealt with a lot of other subjects that were happening among the church. Division, heresy, lovelessness, and spiritual warfare, and the things like this. So was it true that Paul knew nothing among them except for Jesus Christ and him crucified? And what of us? Are we really staying true to this central theme in all of our preaching? We take up all kinds of subjects, like unity and peace, marriage, spiritual warfare, prayer, and we preach about the Holy Spirit, and we even preach about Moses and David and Abraham and Adam and Noah, Peter, Paul, just to name a few of them. We talk about all these other people and all these other subjects. Do we really know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified? Well, if not, you need to rebuke me because I am wrong to preach anything except for Christ. And so I hope that he is our theme and our motif. Yeah, sure, we might touch on other subjects, but know this, every other subject bears on this one theme, that Jesus Christ died for us so that we might live. And so if Christ is not preached, understand, you will not be presented mature. So let Christ be preached, and if Christ is not preached, and do not listen to the one who proclaims anything else to you. Well, there are others who some of us might think, well, you know, he's, he's so well-spoken, so articulate, so passionate. Yeah, well, his eloquence, it does not save your soul. Others will say, well, he is so well-learned. He knows Hebrew. He knows Greek. And yet even the Pharisees themselves were more well-learned than our best seminarians today. And even still, these Pharisees and all their knowledge did nothing to save them, nor their hearers. Oh, but he's helpful. He's practical. He gives wisdom for daily life. Well, let wisdom have its proper place, but wisdom without Christ is folly. So if the preacher does not preach Christ, then do this. Get a new preacher, for his preaching is worthless. Spurgeon, he sums it up well. He says, from every town, village, and little hamlet in England, wherever it may be, there is a road to London. And so from every text in Scripture, there is a road to the, metrop to the metropolis of the Scriptures that is Christ. Your business is when you get to a text, to say, now, what is the road to Christ? And then preach a sermon running along the road towards the great metropolis, Christ. Him we proclaim, and there is no other. So you know the motive of our proclamation, that is your salvation. You know the motif of our proclamation, who is Christ. Now let us take up the mode of our proclamation, which is warning and teaching everyone. When we talk about the mode, I'm talking about the way and manner in which we are to make Christ known. Certainly there are, there's some room for margin on this. 
for how we preach. One might preach on an entire book of the Bible in one sermon. One might preach on an entire chapter or even say five verses or a single verse or even just a single phrase. We might preach in all these different ways and that's good and fine. There's, there's some freedom for that. Proclamation can happen from a pulpit. Proclamation can happen from a parking lot. Proclamation can be accomplished in a setting like this where it's happening live and it can happen through letters like Paul's letter that we're reading even here and now. I love to even consider how unique the proclamation was of Paul compared to Peter and how unique John is compared to James and how unique Tate is from me. So there's some margin for us, some room for us to have different ways in which we might preach and yet there are some things that should not change. Listen to these elements that accompanied Paul's preacher and should accompany all gospel proclamation. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Now there are multiple elements in this mode of preaching, and so let's take them one at a time. Let's first consider what it means to warn everyone. Why must we receive warning? We must receive warning, as I've said before, because we will be presented before God, who is holy, holy, holy. And our holy God, he cannot look on sin only to, to just let it slide. We tend to create these categories for sinners in our own thinking. We have a category for the worst of sinners, and then there's a category for us. Understand, we are more like the worst of sinners, the, the, the most evil, villainous criminals. We are more like them than we are like God. For he, he is in a category of his own. And we, well, we are men who have sinned against him. And he will not look lightly on our sins. And so we need to hear the warning of the wrath that is to come when we and all people will be presented before him and we will either be presented as being mature and perfect, holy and without blemish, or we will be presented as one who is unworthy to look God in the face where he will utterly consume us afterwards. So as I've already acknowledged, we need to be warned because this judgment is coming. And so may you be mature, not in your own works, but mature in Christ on the day when he comes. Beware of God's wrath against sin, but not only this, let you also beware of the one who would whisper sweet nothings to you. Watch out for the one who might flatter you and tell you everything you want to hear. Such flattery is of no advantage to your soul. I knew a pastor who saw it as his mission, his goal to encourage his congregation. That was it. I want them to walk away feeling encouraged and happy, which is good for us to be encouraged and rejoice in the good news of the gospel if we are indeed in Christ. But if we want to just encourage people who are dead in their trespasses, and their sins, oh, we're missing something. We're missing something big. They should not be encouraged, but instead they ought to be warned all the more of the judgment that is to come. Transgressions speak to the wicked deep in the heart. 
There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and to do good. So too, if a man flatters you in his preaching and whispers these sweet nothings to your ear, know this, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Understand the importance of our warning, of our giving caution to those who go on in sin, who go on without being in Christ. It's important for us to, to love one another. Yes, it's important to show charity, to have unity, but none of this is to, to be at the compromise or the cost of not rebuking and warning sinners of the wrath that is to come. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, Proverbs 27, 6. And profuse are the kisses of an enemy. A friend who's gonna rebuke you is a true friend indeed. Surround yourself with these friends who love you enough to tell you what you need to hear. Let a righteous man strike me it is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. And let my head not refuse it. This proclamation of Christ, it's not a word for those who just want new information. This isn't for those who just wish to add a little bit of rules and regulation and religion to their life. The gospel is not for those who are mostly good. The gospel is a message for those who have no hope in and of themselves. It is for those who are dying, for those who are broken, those who are in need of being saved. In other words, the gospel, it is for you and it is for me. But you've already heard the gospel. Why do we need to keep on proclaiming it? Well, Paul, he continues to show us that we are in need of it through this ongoing teaching because we still need to be made mature. So we need this ongoing teaching, an ongoing warning. So him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Consider what it means for Paul to teach with all wisdom. This means this, no Christian ever outgrows the need for teaching. Not a single one of us has ever plumbed the depth into the mystery of Christ, which Paul here is expounding. And even Paul himself acknowledges that he only knows in part. Listen to 1 Corinthians 13. For we know in part... And we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So Paul, he's, he's mature and yet even Paul acknowledges that in his own maturity, he is looking forward to the day where he will know in full. Do not be complacent in knowing your Savior more and more, but continue to know what Christ has done for you. And do not cease to receive such wisdom. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and let the one who understands obtain guidance. Hebrews 5 puts it this way, about this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, 
You need someone to teach you again the basic principles and the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Do you want to be mature? I know I do. Do you want to be wise? Then hear the word as it is proclaimed and even proclaim it to yourself. Do more with your learning than filing it away in your, your file cabinet or loading up your guns with your theological debates. No, apply what God is showing you in his word. For the wise man is the one who doesn't just hear, but the one who does. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So Paul, his proclamation, my proclamation at this point is so that you would be mature and grow in holiness and actually do what God wills us to do through his word, by his spirit. Which brings us to the third element of how we are to preach and this should probably be the most obvious of any of them that we've covered so far in this point because it's repeated three times in our text. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. As Paul showed us in verse 27, since the gospel is not just for sons of Abraham but for the Gentiles as well, Paul feels the liberty to cast the seed of the word indiscriminately to whomever will hear. Oftentimes, us Reformed folks, we're just not that good at this. We're not very good at evangelizing and sharing the gospel, and we have this treasure to share. And Paul, he is one who is willing to pay the price, to suffer, and to labor to share it to everyone Perhaps we're bad at this because we wonder who it is who's actually worth receiving these pearls of the gospel, those who are elect compared to those whom are not. How can you tell? Well, Spurgeon gives us some advice on this as well. He says this, if God would have painted a yellow stripe on the backs of the elect, I would go around lifting shirts. But since he didn't, I must preach whosoever will. And when whosoever believes, I know he is one of the elect. And so it is, Paul, he proclaims this gospel, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom so that he might present everyone mature in Christ. And so do you see yourself in this word, everyone? Because I see myself in it. I'm in need of the same warning and the same teaching. And so are you. We are among this broad category of everyone, especially if you believe, and especially if you don't just as well. There's two particular groups I would like to 
to address that I see in this category, everyone. First, a word to those of you who are wise. If you are wise, know this, you are not done learning. The preaching of the word is for you. I know this temptation far too well to to sit under the word only to critique every aspect of the preacher and his sermon. And this only robs me of the joy of receiving the word as it is preached. So if you are wise enough to teach, well then do so. But don't think you too wise to not hear and learn and do. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. And so be careful that you do not have the kind of knowledge that puffs up. Now, let me flip the coin. And a word to those of you who are young, especially grade schoolers, but to all who would consider yourself young, this sermon, grade schoolers, middle schoolers, high schoolers, toddlers if they're here as well, this sermon is as much for you as it's for your parents. Because you need Christ just as much as your mom and dad do. You need Christ just as much as I do. I was thinking about this. I've been preaching to youth for nearly a third of my life now. And oftentimes I hear like, ah, you know, youth, it's just like we outgrow it. You kind of move beyond it. And yet here's the thing. Like, what's the difference between what I preach on Wednesday night compared to what I preach on Sunday? Yeah, there's some differences because, like I said, there's some margin for change. And yet at its essence, it is the very same mode. At least I aim to be consistent. For what I preach is with the same motive there as I do here. I preach for their salvation and your salvation, which means the motif is one and the same. There I preach Christ, and here I preach Christ. And I preach using the same mode, warning and teaching. So understand this. You are never too young to receive Christ. You are never too old to continue to receive Christ. Christ is for everyone. Which brings us to the end. So what? Is this a sermon for preachers? Am I preaching for my own sake and perhaps the other elders as well? Well, in part, yeah. But certainly this does not exhaust the application of this sermon. Lest we get the wrong idea, listen to Paul's instruction here in just a few chapters to this very same group of readers. Colossians 3.16, he says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. Four things I want to point out about this verse. Not our text this morning, but it bears a lot of similarities to it. First of all, why do we need the word preached to us? Because it is our greatest need. More than food for the stomach, we need this daily bread of God's word to nourish us, to strengthen us, to build us up in Christ so that we would be presented mature in Christ. And so Paul, he gives us this command, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is how you'll be mature. As if the the word is, is continued to be watered, planted and watered time and time again. 
And then God will give the growth. So let the word of Christ dwell in you. And this is the cool part, I think. He says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. These are the very same words that we have in the text that we looked at this morning in verse 28. This word teaching, we saw, one-to-one translation, right? And then admonishing, that's a new word, isn't it? Well, in the ESV, yes, but other translations help us out to see that in the original language, this is the very same word that Paul used to say warning one another, admonishing one another, all the more in all wisdom. So understand, if you look at the preacher and say, it's your job to do the proclamation and it's our job just to warm the pews, Paul's saying here, no, not at all. In fact, what you need to do is teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And one of the practical ways this looks, there's tons of practical ways, but in your home, do this, parents, with your children. Husbands, water your wife with the, with the word. Parents, do this for even your grown kids when they are wandering off into error. All of us need to do this with one another just as well, you to me and I to you, not just from a pulpit, but even in private. But there's another way we do it even here and now. Every single Sunday we do this. He says it. We admonish, we teach in all wisdom. How? By singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Some of us make the habit of kind of dodging service once the, ser- the, the songs start or coming in once the sermon begins. And yet if you do that, you're missing something. You're missing that part of our instruction to one another is done when we sing. So it's important that we, we preach good, rich sermons, yes, but it's also important that we sing good, rich theological songs because when you leave, you'll forget the three points of my sermon. Not today, maybe tomorrow, and if not tomorrow, in a week. You'll forget it, and that's okay because we keep receiving the word day in and day out, not just on Sunday, but you need to keep remembering Jesus Christ and him crucified. But not only that, when we sing songs, songs have a way of working into our being so that we would dwell in this word, that the word of Christ would dwell in us. And so we sing songs. And so when we sing songs here in just a minute, go get your kids and bring them in so that the word of Christ might dwell in us and so that we might continue to teach and admonish one another through our singing. And this singing naturally leads to thanksgiving to God as we teach and admonish one another. For our God has saved us. He has made us perfect so that we can be presented before him without spot or blemish. And this is good news for the sinner to hear, amen? So let us not grow weary of hearing the gospel and let us not cease from proclaiming Christ. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you have given us a church that loves your word, that it's not just one person who loves the gospel here, but we are a fellowship of people who want to be made into the image of Christ. And so, Lord, would you continue to purify our hearts and desires? Give us a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Give us a hunger for your word so that we might receive from it, to continue to be warned by it, to continue to be taught by it. And give us wisdom so that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers of it as well. 
Lord, continue to save us, we ask, for our joy and your glory. In Christ's name, amen.